Last week we started a new series, message series, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we talked about this great uh, teaching that Jesus would bring us to, and we, we just really did an introduction, and we talked about how, how Jesus sat down and invited his disciples to sit down as well. And that when, when Jesus speaks, it's a good idea to sit down and, and listen and hear what he has to say for us. So now, today, we, we get into the actual body of his his message so we've called this whole series better than good and hopefully that begins to make sense over time and today we're saying be more blessed if you've got a bible with you i'm going to invite you to go ahead and start digging through to find matthew chapter five if you um, don't have a bible with you a couple of volunteers um, will make those available to you um bart could i get would you mind doing that for there's a stack of bibles here and uh, if you could just make those bibles available if you need a bible just give them a wave we always You know, you can download your Bible on a smartphone app. Um, You can bring your own, which would be my preference. Um, I just, I'm kind of an old school guy. I like having it in my hands. But whatever device you use, it's great. It's a good thing to be in God's Word. I want to start with a question. Imagine that uh, this morning, instead of sitting in church, you've walked into a college class. And it's the first day. Uh, of a new class and you're a bit nervous about it. You, you know, you're nervous about the assignments and, and how, you know, how the grading's gonna go and, and how good is the, is the instructor gonna be. And, and as you sit there and you, you're paging through the syllabus and the sweat's starting to, to beat up on your forehead, the instructor says, now, I, I need to tell you, uh, this class is difficult, but, um, you will do well. I promise you'll do well if you can just follow a few simple suggestions. Um, now, at that moment, you'd pay a little more attention. You might take out your, your pen or, or uh, open up your laptop and start taking some notes, right? And, and uh, the, the instructor would say, well, you'll have my favor in this class if you will be kind to others, if you'll listen more than you'll talk, if you'll, if you'll get along with those you disagree with, and if you show an authentic interest in learning the material, um, if I can see you doing all those things, you'll get an A, now, imagine that. You, you would think, well, wait a second. Um, you know, what about acing those exams? Or, or, or what about, you know, do I need to use APA format on the essays? And, and what about getting to class on time? Do, don't I need to do that and, and, and actually get to class, which would be a great thing for some college students. And, um, you, you know, I, I need to make sure I do the readings for the labs. Like, you'd be thinking about all those details because that's what's normal. But what if the instructor said, no, I'm looking at the quality of your heart rather than the excellence of your performance. You wouldn't think too much about that college, would you? You wouldn't really trust it. You might not feel okay about it, or maybe you would. Some, some, would, rather, some would rather just say, look, just let me do the work, and who cares about my heart or about my character or about my motivation? Just let me do the, just let me do the assignments. Well, when Jesus spoke the great Sermon on the Mount, he rattled the cage of every religious leader of his day. Every rule-keeping listener would have been a bit puzzled. Because Jesus claimed things like God favors people based on their inner character, not on their religious performance. He claimed that God cares more about what he sees in you than what others see on your Facebook page. Right? So this morning we're going to look at a, a short passage here that's called the Beatitudes. 
the attitude, if you've heard that before, it's just from the, from the Latin, and it just means the, the blesseds or the blessed. It just comes from the Latin word for blessed or blessed. And uh, it's the blesseds of life in the kingdom of God. And if you've just dragged yourself here this morning after a tough week, and you're asking and you're depending on God to help you through this morning, I want you to know this stuff is good news for you today. This stuff's good news for you. It's good news for those. This is good news for those who aren't good at religion. So that's kind of the inside track you need to know this morning. So if you by now, if you found Matthew five, um, if it's on page 802, if you're using that red church Bible, Matthew's the first book in the New Testament, big number five and starting at small number three, chapter five, verse three. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Jesus speaking said this, verse three, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him or God blesses the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble or meek for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or righteousness for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 11, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. Now, what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? We use that word a lot, right? If you sneeze, someone says, bless you. Right? I I have a friend whose voicemail ends with, have a blessed day. I love that. Oh, it kind of perks me up a little bit. Um, back in my college years, there was often a fairly nice car parked in the church parking lot with a personalized license plate that just said, blessed. I didn't know if it was because of the, the quality of the car or some other reason. Blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, in the Old Testament, blessing was often evidenced by things like wealth and influence and power and often lots of children, Right? But blessing is obviously more than that because plenty of wicked people had wealth and influence and power and often many children. And sometimes, you know, very godly people have very little wealth and power influence and very few, if any, children. So that can't be the sole measuring stick. That's not a fair measuring stick. So what does it mean to be blessed? I think it's. It's a deep word, sometimes a little challenging to define. Uh, But I would summarize it as as in the word favor. To be blessed is to have the favor of God. And I just want you to think of those, that worship service going on in the Chinese fellowship, as just angels singing over you right now. It's fantastic. I don't mind it, so I hope you don't either. All right? It's the favor of God. includes things like, Peace, wholeness, provision, and a Jewish word for it might include something like shalom, 
that wholeness of God. A sense of, you know, God's with me and it's going to be okay. I'm blessed. God's with me and it's going to be okay. Blessed. It's the student who's a, as the teacher's favorite. It's, it's the dog who gets, you know, steak instead of table scraps. I mean, it's blessed. It's favored. I, I've said this before, but we do well to cultivate an awareness of blessing, of being conscious of God's constant favor, even in little ways. You've heard me before call it the fog, life in the fog, favor of God. Living life in the fog. It happened to me this week in a really fun little way. I, you know, there's a guy who sells honey over there on Shepherd Avenue and it's really hit and miss as to when I catch him there. And so I, I, I stopped the other day for, for honey and I don't know if you know about this, but there's different kinds of honey. There's, he sells wildflower, orange blossom, and he has a small secret stash of clover honey. And I grew up eating clover honey. And I said, Hey, can I get one bottle of the clover? He goes, Oh, I just have a few jars left. So I'm like, okay, so I bought one, and the next day I thought, wait, if he's only got a few jars left, I better get some more. So I stopped back the next day, he was just packing up his van, I said, hey, can I get a couple more jars of that clover honey from me? He goes, oh yeah, and he roots around his van, he says, here, have an extra on me. I'm like, yes, that's the favor of God, woo, sweeter than honey. So, uh, I don't know if I will share the clover honey if you come over, I will, I'll put orange blossom honey in your tea, I'm not sure about that. The Beatitudes are meant to invite us, to draw us in toward an overall kingdom of God attitude and behavior, right? Rather than a list, the Beatitudes is not a list of laws to obey. This is not thou shalt and thou shalt nots. This is blessed are you for this kind of lifestyle, this kind of attitude, this kind of behavior, this kind of approach to your life. So in Luke's gospel, for example, we, we see these echoed again, but there are fewer of them. There's only four. And, uh, and it suggests to us that Jesus likely taught this same body of teaching, but in different places, in different ways. Jesus didn't, you know, he didn't have a television ministry where he could speak to everybody at once. He would go from place to place, teach the same things, but probably with a little different emphases, different illustrations, different ways of sharing it each and every time. And the plain fact, though, is that these, these things that we read, these eight qualities are from Jesus. And Jesus perfectly modeled each of these beatitudes, right? Jesus was poor in spirit in that he depended on God, his Father, for everything. Jesus mourned for the lost condition of humankind. Jesus was perfectly humble, leaving the perfect glory of heaven, humbling himself into a human body, accepting the humiliation of crucifixion. Jesus hungered and he thirsted physically and spiritually. Jesus was merciful to all who came to him for healing and for help. Jesus was absolutely pure in heart, morally pure, of course, but but this use of the word pure carries the sense of being unmixed or or pure in motive and, and, and in your pursuits. So Jesus, that was Jesus. And Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker, because he's the Prince of Peace. Jesus gave his life to reconcile us as rebellious people, reconcile us to God. And yet, and yes, Jesus was persecuted, the most persecuted. So he models all of these for us. The Beatitudes really chart kind of a fresh course for us because you know, Jesus showed that the favor of God is accessible 
to anybody, to you and to me and to everyone. Right. The the religious leaders of his day, and honestly, I would say many religious leaders of our own day, make it look like God's favor is reserved for those who can look like they have it all together. Right. So you think, well, good people have it all together, so therefore they're blessed by God. Um, But that that's not what Jesus was saying. It's normal in everyday life, I suppose, right? Do well at work and you get more opportunities uh, in, in your workplace. Do well in school and you get good grades. You know, if kids obey their parents, it tends to go better for them than if they don't. There might be some reward attached to that. You know, put your achievements on Facebook. Bring that up again. And you get lots of likes. That feels good. All right. Your outward performance is what gets recognized or noticed. But in God's kingdom, what matters... This is the condition of your heart, not your religious or moral performance. Because you can fake it and you can hide behind good behavior for a while, but the condition of your heart will eventually spill out. The, the, the kind of the Bible phrase for that is you will know them by their fruit. The fruit of your life will eventually really reveal what's in your heart, what's in the core of you. So based on these Wonderful verses from Jesus, these Beatitudes. I, I'm going to suggest one sort of guiding principle and then two questions to ask us. Okay, so a guiding principle and two questions to help us. First, a guiding principle. And I think this principle is honestly one way of articulating the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, in a nutshell. And that's this. If you're taking notes, I've actually included in your program today a, a note-taking sheet, and it's got fill-in Fill in the blanks. If you like doing that, you can do that. And we'd say it this way, that God's kingdom is for volunteers. God's kingdom is for volunteers. What do I mean by that? Well, you have friends who are perhaps Catholic, right? But they say that because their parents were Catholic and they were baptized in the Catholic church as an infant. Or you have neighbors, perhaps, who are Muslim or they're Sikh or possibly even Mennonite, right? Because they were born into those families, um, a Hindu, for example, may never even consider leaving that religion because their understanding is, I was born into this, this, this is what I am. Well, in the same way, some, I think, have looked at these Beatitudes, these blesseds of Jesus, and they figured, well, these are just for the people who are already one of those, the people who are sort of already the underdogs of the world. As if to say, well, you can't help it. I mean, if you're poor in spirit or even just poor, because that's what Luke says, blessed are the poor. He doesn't say blessed are the poor in spirit. Or, or, or you're persecuted or, or you, have, you already have a merciful personality, so therefore you're blessed by God and that's it. Some are in and some are out and you have no choice in the matter. Um, you might think about it another way. So this afternoon, um, Matt Ryan from Atlanta and Tom Brady from New England are going to go head to head. I've been told this is one headline said the uh, greatest, greatest quarterback matchup in Super Bowl history. I just love it when they talk, use words like greatest and best ever until next year. Um, Super Bowl 51. And whether or not you watch the game today or maybe you, you just watch the commercials, you mute the game and watch the commercials. I don't know what, what kind of watcher you are of that. But it's a big deal, and these are, are some of the nation's most uh, elite athletes. Well, to excel at that level of play, right, both Ryan and, and Brady, I mean, can you even imagine the untold hours they put in practicing their craft? 
and took way too many hits than is humanly safe, right? And, and made many sacrifices to get there. But think about this. There are others who practiced just as hard, who took just as many hits, who made just as many sacrifices and aren't at that level of play. What's the difference? Well, these guys were probably born into some advantages beyond really beyond their control. Maybe they have some natural aptitude that they were born with. Maybe their dads had connections in athletics that other dads didn't have. Maybe they just happened to meet the right coach at the right moment. And, and of course, they worked very hard to get to that position. But they didn't just choose to be there. They didn't just say, hmm, I think I'd like to be quarterback of the Patriots. It doesn't work that way, right? They're blessed, but part of their blessing is in reason, for reasons beyond their control. And that's sometimes how we feel about our life of faith. Well, either I'm in or I'm out. But in the Beatitudes, it's all voluntary. It's your choice. This is not a pity party for religious weaklings either. It's, it's not a rescued puppy adoption agency. right? You have the power to actually choose to live in this blessed kingdom way. At a foundational level of your life, we get to choose to receive God's favor or God's blessing but by our own decision, a choice of our heart condition. So it's attitude for sure, but it's more than attitude. Um, that first one, I would say, is, is about attitude. Blessed are the ones who realize their need, the poor in spirit, as, as it's more directly translated. That's an attitude of your decision to say, God, I, I, I don't have the resources to, to get through life completely on my own. I, I, I might even get through life, but I can't get beyond life on my own. I don't, I'm, I don't have that, you know, everything to offer that I'd like to offer. I am, I am, I'm inadequate in myself. I can't live a sinless life. I'm poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the, the humble ones or the meek. Right? That's about posture. That's about kind of submission. And posture before God. Bowing down in our heart and sometimes even in your own body and, and, and being submitted to God, bent down in concern for the world. Sometimes even on your knees in prayer saying, God, I care about the people around me that don't, don't know you yet. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's a desire. Hunger and a thirst, right? I just, there's connection time's going to happen in about half an hour and I just looked out and I saw they just brought a tray of donuts while I'm here speaking. Right now I am like hunger and I thirst for donuts and a coffee. Right. That's a desire that we have. And and what about blessed are the merciful? Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. That signals priorities. Right. The things that are most important to you. That's what you'll work for in your life. And then there's one more. Blessed are the persecuted for Christ's sake. That speaks of commitment. You know, five, five things that just if you lived with, with attention to your attitude and your posture and your desires and your priorities and your commitment, you'd live a pretty amazing life. You'd live an amazing life. And Jesus is addressing all those. When you do all those things with the kingdom of God as your first priority, when the kingdom of God guides your things, when the concerns, the things that matter to God matter to you, and it, and it affects your attitude and your posture and your desire and your priorities and your commitment, amazing things will happen in your life. So the good news, right, is that you've been, we've been invited into a volunteer kingdom. We choose it. God won't force you in. You're not here by birthright either. 
right? Your, your last name or your gender or your skin color, those neither qualify nor disqualify you for the kingdom of God. But I will warn you about this. Life in the kingdom of God is not necessarily a popular way to live in this world. It's the way of God's, it's the way of God's kingdom and not of our own. I, I just think about, for example, just this, all this political strife we have right now. Well, are you for the president or are you against the president? Wait, 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 wait. What would Jesus say? He'd say, look, I'm not, I'm not choosing sides here. I'm for people. I'm, I'm for sacrifice. I'm for love. And you, it's a different way to live. And it doesn't always make sense in the world. Not that we don't have preferences and don't have things that are more interesting or things that we work for. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's a different way. If I were to summarize or paraphrase, let's say, the, the Beatitudes, I might say them like this. Right? This is how I wrote them for myself. Blessed are those who are not full of themselves. Blessed are those who are honest about their grief. Blessed are those who have no need to be number one. Blessed are those who ache for God's salvation in the world. Blessed are those who can cut people some slack. Blessed are those who are singularly submitted to God. Blessed are those who believe in reconciliation and do something about it. Blessed are those who suffer for God's sake. You know, the message of the gospel is that you have been invited to voluntarily yield your life. To voluntarily yield your life to Christ for forgiveness and for eternal life. If you sit here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus where you know that he's forgiven your sin. And you're, you're bound for heaven. You're destined for heaven upon eternity. You need to start with there. But it's your voluntary decision. No one can force it on you. But I wonder if you've done that. Have you volunteered your life to Christ? So, the big principle, it's a volunteer kingdom. It's your choice. It's your decision to live in this way or not. And then I said there are two kind of questions that this raises for us. So let me, let me raise those for you. First one's in keeping with this Super Bowl theme today. And that's this. What's the end zone of your life? What's the end zone of your life? What's your goal? Whose approval do you seek? Do, do, you, do you want the people around you to reward you or, you know, and pat you on the back? Is that what you're living for? Are, are you living for, you know, the accomplishment of, of great wealth? Great resources. Because the people in this list are the ones, according to Jesus, are, are the ones who have chosen to care more about what God cares about than about what people care about. Care more about what God's going to say than about what people are going to say. Who care mo- more about God's kingdom than about our own kingdoms or what people can offer us. And well, friends, this is a real struggle. Honestly, this is a real struggle. I think about this all the time. Back in, I had this conversation just this week, you know, thinking about how do we prepare for retirement? And, well, how do you do that without being so focused on, on, on creating a path for retirement that that now suddenly becomes our God? And, oh, the most important thing. No, that's... But this constant tension we live with. I want to live with the things that are important for Him. So what's the end zone of your life? What's the goal? What are you trying to get to? I want to be blessed by God. But if I'm going to do that, I have to admit that I'm poor in spirit, my own personal brokenness, that I'm grieving over my own sin and grieving over the world's lostness. I need to choose things like humility, meekness, right? Even if I'm getting run over by the world's bullies, I I want to crave righteous justice and yet show mercy at the same time. How do you do justice and how do you do mercy at the same time? Well, that's that's the tension of this kind of life. 
I want to have a pure heart and seek peace, be singularly devoted. I want to pursue God's words, well done, good and faithful servant. Even if the people around me never say even a simple thank you. What's your end zone? Is it to get noticed and approved by people or is it to have the favor of God over your whole life? Which leads to a second important question raised by the text here. That's this. What price are you willing to pay? What price are you willing to pay? Verse 10 says this. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then he goes on. I've got this one on the screen. Verses 11 and 12. Maybe we could read this together. Let's do that. Ready? Go. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Wow. If I claim that God's kingdom, God's way of doing things, right, God's active presence in the world, God's God's work in my life. If I claim that that's the most important thing, there will be a price to pay for that. Let's go back to, to Tom Brady and Matt Ryan for a moment. Okay, back to these guys. Um, these guys have chosen to pay a price for their elite status in sports. Right? Now, their teams also chose to pay a price to have them play in that elite position. But... Their reward is fame and fortune. So they paid a price, and they'll be rewarded with fame and fortune. But when you prioritize God's concerns, not fame and fortune, but potentially, it's not a guarantee, but it is possible, unpopularity, slander, persecution, mistreatment, right? The reward will come, but not just yet, and maybe not even completely well certainly not completely in this life it's a heavenly reward but that's the amazing thing about these beatitudes they invite you to to come alive to break away from the status quo to to quit running what the tr- same track that everybody else is running and live differently to live for the good of the kingdom to come alive jesus says that you'll be in good company he says the prophets of old were persecuted and jesus himself was persecuted At the end, it'll make sense. Finally. Not just Jesus was persecuted, but we've talked about this before. Believers through time, starting with those, some of those very apostles, persecuted deeply for their faith. Let me read a couple things right at the end of time that we look forward to. Revelation 6, verse 9. I'll read it to you. You can, if you want to find it, you can. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. The Bible is really not a book. It's a library with a whole lot of books in it. Revelation 6, verse 9 says this, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They'd been killed, slaughtered for their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, "O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us?" 
And then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be, mar- who were to be martyred, had joined them. The next chapter, chapter 7, verse 9, says this, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Chapter 12, verse 10, carries on that same sense of reward in these those who have suffered in their white robes. It says, I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brother and brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Jesus calls you to a life that might include you suffering. But they, those who have suffered would say, it's worth it. You could volunteer to be more blessed. But that depends on the end zone of your life, what you're trying to get to. And it depends whether you're willing to pay a price to get there. I think the most beautiful truth of these sayings, of these Beatitudes, is that they are for anyone. Including for you who don't follow Christ just yet. Or your friends who don't follow Christ yet. Or your family members, your neighbors. Because as a church, we're saying that we seek to lead those who are apart from God to come fully alive by finding their way, way into the grace and truth of Jesus Christ, to follow Him together. As we share this communion today, I, I want you to consider this. We could consider this together. Who in your life is not yet at this communion table but we want to see them there. Let me explain this communion to you. On each, there's uh, three stations around the room. At each station, there's going to be a little tray of, uh, it's just a gluten-free, it's a cereal, but it's a gluten-free piece of bread, effectively. In the Bible, this says, this represents, Jesus said, this represents my body. My body that was broken for you. Crushed. And at each table, there's, there's these trays of little tiny cups of juice. Jesus said, this juice, this wine represents my blood spilled for you that seals a new agreement, a new covenant. What's that new covenant? That new covenant is that you're saved, you're made right with God by your faith, not by your effort. Not by your good works, not by your last name, not by who you married, but by your decision to put your faith in Christ. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it would be really simple. You would, you would just pray something like this. Jesus, I need you. I trust you to forgive all my sin. I believe that you're a son of God, that you died and you rose again, and that you're coming back, 
and I give my life to you today. And there's this amazing exchange that's already happened. Jesus came to the cross and he said, I will take your life if you'll take mine. I will take your sinfulness if you'll take my sinlessness. That's the gospel. That's the message of the cross. And so this table, these, this bread and this juice is, is meant for every person who says, I'm in communion. I'm in union with the body of Christ. I believe. I believe. I've put my faith in Christ Jesus. 